I'm Kyle McNulty, and you're listening to Secure Ventures, the show that follows cutting-edge founders in the cybersecurity space to understand their plights, glories, and revolutionary products. With me in this episode is Sam Crowther. Sam skipped college in favor of going directly into the security field, and he started his own company while he was still a teenager. His company, Casada, is built around a novel form of bot deterrence where the company presents complex quantitative challenges that cost attackers thousands in compute resources. Casada has since grown to over 50 employees and received funding from the CIA's venture fund. Sam, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Now, you got your start in security all the way back in high school. Uh, how did you initially discover the field? Yeah, it was a bit of an accident, uh, really. A series of, uh, you know, I guess fortunate or unfortunate steps where uh, I realized that, like, for, for whatever reason, I was good at breaking things. Um, and I, I found it very satisfying to try to, you know, put my, you know, my shoe, my feet, so to speak, in the shoes of the person who built it and figure out where they uh, may have had problems. Uh, and I, you know, was, was so fascinated at the point where I, you know, as a, I think I was sort of 14, 15, started, you know, building my own little bits of security software to encrypt data and send secure messages uh, and pestered my way into a bit of work experience with one of the uh, signals intelligence agencies back in Australia. Yeah. And that was with the Australian signals director, right? What were you actually yes. doing over there? Yeah. So, uh, well, a few, a few different things, but basically the, the premise was, you know, letting me be a part of some of the, obviously the non uh, super secret work that they <laughs> do as a high school student to, you know, introduce me to the field of security. So I really, you know, got to touch quite a lot of aspects of the, the security industry in, you know, in a way that I think, um, at least for me, as you know, as a 15 year old really opened my eyes to how huge the problem set was and you know, how much fun it could be to solve it. So you mentioned you were 15. What grade does that leave you in? Were you a, a sophomore in high school at the time? Um, oh, I'm not very good with the translation to the US. <laughs> it was like 10th grade. 10th grade. Yeah, that's, that's sophomore year. Um, so how did you end up landing that job in the first place then? Uh, well, I think I like to put it down to I was, I was a, a bit annoying and I just kept emailing uh, lots of different <laughs> people until someone eventually responded and said, all right, we'll give you a shot <laughs> over the course opening, of a few months. You might be opening yourself up to some extra emails then with that remark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what was it like then protecting your government? You mentioned the a high stakes position and obviously the role of the ASD for Australia. Did you feel kind of underqualified or just um, like a small player in such a, a big system at that time? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that feeling still, uh, still doesn't change very much. I think there's <laughs> always, there's always so much more that, uh, that I don't, I do not know than, than what I do, but absolutely. It was, it was very eye opening. I think, you know, I worked with some of the smartest you know, people that they had there and they were, they were truly brilliant. They made me feel like, uh, you know, I wasn't going to achieve really anything compared to how smart these blokes were. <laughs> and so oftentimes I think a, a first job experience can somewhat alter a career path, especially at such a young age. What was it about that experience at the ASD that made you want to continue with security? The, I think there was a few things. Firstly was the, the impact that it can have. So, you know, I, 
I took some of this uh, knowledge back to my high school and I may have, you know, been a little pesky kid and used some of it. Uh, <laughs> but what that really showed me is this is such a huge, huge problem that affects everyone, right? It affects the, you know, the, the organizations, but then also the people and the individuals that either work for the organizations or do business with them. Hmm. And that really interested me as a problem set because there was such a huge potential to, to have enormous, enormous impact. And, and so that's why, you know, I just sort of continued down the rabbit hole. Right. And so upon graduating high school, you actually opted not to go back to the ASD and instead got your start in security consulting. And this was back in 2013. So how come you decided to go into consulting instead? So, yeah, so I ended um, after high school, I got into a software engineering degree and was all, like, was just, was very fortunate that I'd been offered a job with um, one of the big investment banks in Australia. And I guess I looked at a combination of things, you know, the program with the ASD, they didn't at that point in time have a way for someone uh, who's graduated high school to go work for them. You needed mm. a degree or you needed some sort of experience somewhere else. So that was off the cards. Then the, the work I was doing for the Macquarie Bank group, um, you know, it was a lot more interesting and it was, you know, very rewarding work versus, you know, I looked at what I would have been doing, you know, first year software engineering, uh, and, and it didn't really pique my interest. So I decided, look, let's take a gap year. Let's go and work for a year, uh, see what we can do, and then make a decision. And the gap year turned into a gap sort of five or six years. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the work I got to do at Macquarie was, um, was pretty incredible at, again, so just sort of showing me the, the scale of the impact that even like someone as young and as inexperienced as me could have helping to protect all of our customers and all of the data that we held. And so you only actually ended up lasting 18 months or so in consulting before starting Casada. What did you like and dislike most about that 18 month period? You mentioned the, the gap year that kind of stretched out that you think then informed uh, the, the origins of Casada. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have anything that I disliked. I didn't leave Macquarie because I didn't like it. I had a brilliant team, um, brilliant problems, to work on. And I work for an organization that gave me a lot of um, freedom to solve these interesting issues. But mm. the, the thing that actually like motivated me to leave was that I could see that this would be the potential to have an even bigger impact than I was having. Right? I figured, you know, with Macquarie, I can have an impact on all of our customers and all of our employees and partners. Uh, if, if I try and build something to solve this problem, which I know we hadn't solved at that point in time, I could, you know, potentially exponentially grow that impact. And, you know, we've been very, very fortunate in that that's, that's what's been happening over the last few years. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting parallel, actually, with a, a previous conversation with one of the guests, Kareem Hijazi. He was talking about he had a similar shift, was working in consulting for an extended period of time, but then felt that because consulting was so dependent on his time, he couldn't have the same scale and reach uh, as with a product. And that kind of triggered that same transition. So, uh, in 2015, you then started Casada. This is two years after high school graduation with no college experience. Had you ever tried to start a company before then? Yeah, so uh, during high school, I'd, um, I'd built and, and sold little bits of software here and there. Uh, this was my first sort of, you know, real like adult shot at it, if you will. Right. Um, and that's what I was also really excited by. I, I genuinely love, you know, building things that do solve problems. And I figured, hey, 
this is now I'm at a you know I'm I'm a bit older even though I'm still very young, and this could be you know again a good opportunity to try something for real. Right. And so, what was the idea behind Casada? So, the like what what we ended up doing was you know, a bit interesting. That w- there was a big problem that I kept seeing when I was at Macquarie. Uh, I knew just from personal experience, being on the other side of the fence, that it's very very easy and cheap for someone to scale up any sort of operation against a company, right? And and it's because you can leverage automation be that something truly as simple as running a vulnerability scanner or SQL map on a, on a login endpoint, right up to a, you know, distributed competitive price scraping or, you know, credit card washing event, right? The key thing that enables it is that someone can write a piece of code that then goes and performs this action far faster than, you know, any human could possibly dream. So it opens, it opens organizations up to a lot of, problems they previously wouldn't face because these sort of issues weren't economical until automation got involved and no one had solved it because it was and is still it's a difficult issue to solve the the solution was having people sit behind wafs and block ip addresses manually right Mm -hmm. which is not a game that you can play Uh, it just it doesn't work and so you know i figured if we could if we could undermine firstly, like why people were doing it, we'd have a shot at solving the problem. And, and like the, re- the two reasons people do it, it's simple and it's cheap. So I figured if we can make it more expensive and make it more difficult, you actually, you know, reduce 99% of the, uh, the surface that someone has to stand on. So what does the product look like today? Yeah. So the, the product is all about ensuring that the only people or the only things that interact with our customers' websites are humans in browsers. Right. We, we don't want uh, any other traffic to get through to our, our customer's website, unless, of course, they, they actually want it, like Google or whatnot. And it, it basically, from like an integration perspective, you can think of it very much as the same way a CDN would integrate. Right? We, we act as a cleaning layer, a filtering layer between the customer's environment and the end client machine. Um, and, you know, currently, again, fortunate enough to have had, you know, a, a, a number of companies around the world trust us to help them solve these issues. And so what's the underlying technology that allows that to happen without getting too complex for the, the less technical listeners, but at a surface level, what is Casada doing differently um, that ensures yeah. this works? So there's, there's two, uh, two pillars to it. And it comes back to what I mentioned earlier. Automation is simple and it's cheap. So the way we make it very difficult and remove the simplicity pillar that, that our adversaries have to stand on is we have a process that basically verifies that whatever you're coming to our customer's website in is a legitimate browser, right? Like it, it is a browser with a human behind it. That's the mm-hmm. first process. And at a high level, it literally is as simple as that. The second one is undermining the, you know, the cost effectiveness of it. So what we actually developed was this, um, asymmetric proof of work system. So at its core, a math problem that's expensive computationally to solve and cheap to issue. And so what that means is we have complete control over what an attack will cost, which removes the, uh, the cheap factor as well. And those two play very, very nicely together to disincentivize um, folk that we're up against. So did you have this all fleshed out back in 2013 or... 2015 rather how did it evolve over time since then yeah yeah so it started as the the cost component 
So it started purely around, let's just make it more expensive. And sure. then we realized that the expensive was a good pillar to start on. And then we also needed to make it more difficult. And so that's where we evolved the product over the last few years as well. And so you use the term we, but my understanding is when you first started, uh, it was just you, no co-founder. When did you first bring in other employees? Yeah, so we, I'm trying to think, I think we hired sort of three uh, engineers to work on this in the sort of uh, 15, 2016. Wow. Um, yeah, so I, I was fortunate enough that I sort of had a good mate from uh, primary school of all places. Wow. And, you know, he was in, in software engineering and we uh, found, you know, a few other, few other good, good folk to join the, join the early team and we just got building. And so uh, am I right that you didn't actually receive external investment until 2018? What were those first few years like without any outside money? Yeah. So, I mean, it was very interesting. We were fortunate enough where, you know, there was a few individuals who, you know, really saw the potential in what we were doing and, and were more or less our angels um, and, and helped us really, get off the ground there. And that was mm. like absolutely incredible. Uh, you know, all, some of them had some really good experience in you know, this general area of business. So it was very valuable. Um, but it was, it was a hard slog, right? There was, you know, none of us had built a product, right? So all the odds were against <laughs> us. We we're all super young. So, you know, I'm going into these big organizations saying, Hey, look, trust this, you know, greasy 19 year old nerd uh, <laughs> with some of your most difficult security problems. Um, and like we were, fortunate enough that the problems we solve are truly very difficult and that you know in a sense like people had to give us a shot to, to address these issues and you know we we came through and you know so that after we started to prove it out in a few very big organizations uh for a team of sort of four or five you know engineers uh we we got the attention of some of the vcs and that's when mm. to your point when we raised our uh, first seed round in 2018 and you ended up actually attracting around from the US CIA's venture arm. How did that change your approach as a company as well as your customers in the government market? Yeah, that was, uh, that was interesting. I, uh, I have a lot of respect, obviously, for what those guys do for us in twofold. I think, firstly, it validated... Um, the approach that we're taking, right? I think, you know, these guys invest in technologies and for us getting that sort of thumbs up meant, hey, we're absolutely doing the right thing. And it also was humbling because they believe that, you know, we could have a huge impact on not, not just the US government, right? The Australian government, the UK governments in protecting the applications that citizens use. And, you know, to us, that's the ultimate goal is like for, for us, every customer that we protect is another touch point we get for people online where they now no longer have to worry about some of these issues for impacting them. Mm-hmm. So for us, it was a, a, you know, a bit of a hell yeah, let's keep running in this same direction <laughs> even harder than we were before. Now, you mentioned uh, being 19, being specifically greasy 19-year-old. Uh, <laughs> what surprised you most about being a young founder um, and kind of the challenges that came about that scenario? Um, well, there were a few. The biggest one was, I guess, being dismissed for age, mm. which, look, I understand. 
Um, there were there were definitely people who didn't, but there was a lot of a lot of cases where we were just dismissed. You know, even now, every so often it happens. Um, you know, when I you know first meet people who you know need our help, and they sort of yeah, get a bit standoffish, or uh, I don't know how it is, but that yeah, that, that's an interesting problem that that still happens, but to a lesser degree. Sure. Um, the other side of it was just like how much I didn't know, which again makes sense because I was <laughs> very new to the industry and very new to the, to the world. So, you know, I, I look at what I've learned in the past five years of running this thing and it's like, it's unreal. And, and I didn't even know what I didn't know. So that was, that was the other side of it. So on the other side of that, then what part of being a founder did you actually find easiest? Um, well, I think telling people, or you know, talking to people about why the problem that we solve is important, and then you know, I think what sort of like I, I do really genuinely care about this issue, and I'm very passionate about security, and so I think that helps in you know getting other people on board and and you know wanting to help out and, and join the business to to help us achieve some of the goals that we're setting out to achieve. Hmm. Okay, and so we talked about the early days where you just started with. Uh, those three or four other engineers that you brought in. And now how many employees do you actually have at Casada? So we're about 50 now. 50. Um, wow. Yes. Yeah, but across the Australia and the U S and I'm sure they're not all young high school or, or college students <laughs> at this point. How have you had to <laughs> adapt no. from an age standpoint, that age bias that you just mentioned to be a leader for so many people who are older than you? Uh, look, it's, it's definitely been an interesting one. And look, I think it's, a combination of just me as an individual growing, learning more and really realizing how much I don't know, which has, has been fortunate enough to, you know, have a few very seasoned and experienced individual put trust in me to, you know, to, to lead us, despite the fact that they, they do have a lot more experience than me in, in either this area specifically or in, you know, certain niche areas, you know, like marketing or not that marketing's niche or engineering or whatnot. Um, <laughs> And then also, you know, relationship building. I think that's the that's the other side of it. Uh, we've been, you know, very fortunate where, you know, it, despite COVID and the fact that we brought on a lot of senior leaders last year, um, you know, we've all managed to build relationships to the point where we did trust each other a lot. And I think that's been very critical too. And one of the key problems I've heard from other founders is the issue of delegation as that team first starts growing. Uh, how did you manage that? Uh Oh, that, yeah. So that was absolutely an issue. I, again, we were very lucky and I was very lucky in that like some of the people on the founding team were brilliant and really, you know, grew into their own when it came to the business expanding and them taking on things mm. that, that helped remove my plate. Um, and, and I trusted them a lot. So for me, like, you know, handing off engineering, handing off product was absolutely not a problem because I, <laughs> you know, wholeheartedly trust the people that were running it and and still do the the other side of it like the commercial side which i'm absolutely not as experienced with and again we're fortunate where we have some just incredible leaders in the business in those spaces like our, our cmo neil is is unreal and absolutely trust him to to do the best thing for the business uh from that standpoint and so you know i don't really feel the need to get involved too much and you try and influence in, or like try and, you know, pull the puppet strings, so to speak. Um, the, the parts though, that I do really enjoy, I absolutely love working with customers and uh, you know, 
talking to people about the problems we solve, that's absolutely difficult to delegate. And, you know, I've managed to do it in, in certain areas where it makes sense, but it's still a very active part of my job. Like it truly is one of my favorite things is, is working with our, our customers. And so, you know, I just make sure I craft a job where I still get to do that and, and don't have to, to give everything away that I love. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that won't go away anytime soon in your role. <laughs> so I hope not. Casada has been around for about six years now. What achievement do you place the most value on? I think that's, that's a hard one. There's a lot of things that we've achieved that I'm pretty proud of. Um, I, I think the most humbling actually happened uh, quite early on in the business. It, I think it was 2018 or 2019 where uh, we got called in to help stop an attack. And hmm. as part of the post-attack analysis, we were looking at trying to map out the individuals that had been targeted because we realized it was actually quite a sophisticated actor. And um, we saw individuals who I knew personally um, who were not impacted, but could have been. And, and that was a very interesting um, moment where it, like, I don't know, it's kind of like the, you saw not an out of body experience, but saying, <laughs> well, okay, we like, this really brings a home. This humanizes what we're doing. And I think, I think that also really shaped how we thought about the problem as well after this event and really look at it as okay. Like truly every organization that we work with allows us to prevent something bad happening from that many more people. Right. So they just hmm. go about their normal lives. They don't even have to think about it. That's the best outcome for us. Interesting. So that is a, kind of surprising use case that you mentioned for the tool as well. Uh, when you first mentioned it, it occurs to me as something that's obviously proactive, but you're kind of bringing it in reactively in that scenario. Uh, how has your customer base really been split across those two different use cases? Yeah. Um, I would say 30% are very reactive and the other 70% is proactive sure. problem solving. Um, yeah, but, that, but that's the, the part of it, right, is, you know, we don't view this as, and I certainly don't view this as, hey, we're just here to sell your product, right? The practical reality is, like, we're experts in a field that is, it is niche, right? Our customers shouldn't have to have this knowledge internally, right? They don't need the expertise that we have. And so what we want to bring to the table is, hey, we're not just going to solve these particular problems, but we're going to help get value or give you value from solving them and from some of the insights that, that we do have as a group. And one thing that I'm very, very proud of is that, you know, anytime we've asked any customer to do a reference call, to do a case study uh, or, you know, to chat with one of the VCs before they invest, they're all a very happy to. And then B the feedback that we always get is these people love working with you guys. Hmm. And it's not just that we, you know, we do a good job, but you know, we're actually good people who, are good to work with. And I think that's the other side of the coin as well is like, this is a partnership. It's not a fight that's going to go away anytime soon. So we've got to be good at working with our customers. Now, I think a lot of founders try to follow that same methodology, right? In terms of just hiring quality people, obviously it grows more difficult at scale. You're now mm. up to 50 people. How have you managed to keep that or those core values in the different employees that you hire? Yeah. So we've, 
you know, what's the, the uh, saying, higher, slow, fire, fast? Um, sure. I think, you know, we absolutely take that into account. If <clears throat> to, the recruitment process is very heavily focused, not only around, you know, the the skills that you have, but also, you know, what do you like as an individual and how are you going to basically push us forward as an organization in how we work with our customers and solve their problems versus keep us at the same level or bring us backwards. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, well, like we interview a lot of people and if we don't feel comfortable that um, they're going to be additive, like we just, we just won't make that decision. It's, it's too much of a risk for us. Mm. Okay. So looking ahead, what's next for, for you and Casada? Yeah. So the, the big thing for us at the moment, or there's a comp, obviously still very, very heavily invested in the product itself. The other side of it is, you know, getting, getting our name out there. Uh, in Australia, I think we've done a really good job. It was our home market. It's much smaller. Mm. So we're very well known there. Um, but the US is not the case, right? Where I moved to the US at the end of 2018, start of 2019. Uh, we hired our first real team in the US just last year. And most of it came in, you know, July, August. So for us, it's about how do we, you know, really get our name out there in this market and, you mm. know, show people that, hey, like we are, we are the group that you need to be partnering with to solve these problems. And you know, here's why. So that's the, so, that's the main game for us. And dealing with those markets in Australia and New York and, and now living in New York, have you developed a system to keep yourself from taking calls in the middle of the night? Uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was just tough. Um, again, <laughs> I really like working and, and what we're doing. So it took uh, a lot of, concentrated effort on my end uh to you know to be like all right from 9 p.m onwards i don't work unless it's an emergency Hmm. and thinking about what's next for you personally we talked about how uh, you don't have an undergraduate degree at this point is that something that you think you'll ever undertake uh, or just opt in to continue on without it uh look i mean i honestly haven't thought too much about it if i needed Hmm. one i i would at the moment, we don't have a huge interest in, in doing right. more traditional undergraduate. There's absolutely education opportunities that I have an interest in. Mm. I think it, it's a combination of sort of what Casada needs in the, you know, the midterm, long-term, as to, which would influence what I want to do. Mm. And so what's one tip you can give to a, a young entrepreneur after your own experience? Uh, mate, you gotta, you got to keep at it. And I know, I know that's what everyone <laughs> says, but like, it, it's so true. It felt like we made no progress for the first year and a half. Um, none, right? Which makes sense. We're building a product, trying to convince people to, to work with us. It's a, it's a hard slog and you got to be able to get out there and, and take the no's and go, all right, how am I going to turn these into yeses? Hmm. Were there ever times where you wanted to, to give up, but the others on the team convinced you to stick with it? Um, well, there were never times where I would have shared that, but absolutely. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, it was very difficult in the, <laughs> in the early days. So there are there are a lot of times when you know, look, we're like, how are we gonna how are we gonna pay each everyone next month? Right? Um, and that's that's an interesting stress for someone. At least I felt that was when I was nineteen. I was like, hmm, it doesn't feel really good to have have this on my plate. But yeah, that was that was a reality. And I think you know what what came again was a combination of the 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 people that were around us, you know, caring as much as me. And, you know, so I said, look, if they can do it, then, then I can too. And then making sure that 
like we celebrated the what felt like small wins at the time, but ultimately actually turned out to be very, very impactful wins in the business. Um, um, that's something which, you know, I'll be the first to admit I'm not very good at doing. I tend to get, you know, very focused in what we're doing and what we need to do. But you know, something I found which was really energizing is taking a step back and going, all right, like what's been achieved in the last three months, six months, 12 months, you know, a few mm. years. And that, that's when things can really start to come into perspective. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm sure looking back on, on six years is a, a daunting task at this point. Um, okay, well, <laughs> thank is. you again. Thank you again for all your time. Last question for the listeners. Are you currently looking for investment or hiring? Uh, we're absolutely hiring. Uh, not looking for investment at the moment. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Sam. Easy, Matt. I appreciate it, Carl. Have a good one. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you can write to me at kyle at secureventures.io. I'm Kyle McNulty and you've been listening to Secure Ventures. 